Welcome to the High Praises Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. I want to talk to you today about a subject. It says, I choose life. I posted it on Facebook this morning and asked people to join us that were at home, and I thought, they're going to think I'm here today to talk about abortion, and I don't believe in abortion, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. I choose life. The Bible is replete with scriptures about life. I could give you tons of scriptures, but I just want to give you three. And two of them are things that Jesus said. And if Jesus said it, it ought to be great, somebody. How about it? You remember what he said? He said, for the thief cometh not, but for to kill and to steal and destroy. But I've come to give you life. Somebody say life. But he said not only life, but life abundantly. He said, I'm giving you everlasting life. And we talk about heaven, but he said, I'm talking about some abundant life right here where you're living. In spite of the pain and the grief and the challenges, he's saying, you can have life. You can have life in this physical body. I'm giving you abundant life. And that scripture we learned from the time we were little children that uh, said, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that they should not perish, but have everlasting life. Praise God. But I'll tell you the big Scripture to me is in Acts 17 and 28, where He said, for in Him, who? In Him, in Jesus Christ, we live and we move and we have our being. My life today is in Him. It's in Him that I move. It's in Him that I live. It's in Him that I have my being. I wrote this down. Only the dead lay still. Life is in movement. Only the dead lay still. Life is in movement. I don't know how long I'm going to live, and Rachel and I realize she'll be 82 in April as well. We could leave this world tomorrow, next week, next month. I don't know. But I've decided in my mind, as long as there's some breath in these lungs, and as long as there's a little bit of strength in my body, I'm going to get up every morning and say, I choose life. Come on, somebody. Would you say it with me now? Would you say, I choose life. I choose life. Do you do it today? There's a lot of things out here that will bring death on you but I choose life. I want to go to a a part in the Old Testament, amazingly, in talking about this today. But in 2 Kings chapter 6 and chapter 7, it tells a story you've heard many times about Benadad, the king of Syria, who had uh, decided to attack Samaria. Now, you know, in, in Judah, the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, Jerusalem was the capital city. But for Israel, Samaria was the capital city. And Benadad had attacked it and laid siege on it for so long that they couldn't get resources in and out of the city. And there was a famine in the city, a bad famine in the city. Now, I was raised in a very dysfunctional home in an inner city in the projects, and there were days in in our family when we didn't have food. 
but I never have been in a famine like they were having in Samaria. The Bible said it was so bad that they were selling a donkey's head for eight shekels of silver. They were selling a cab of Doug's dung, bird manure, for people to eat for five shekels. As a matter of fact, the famine was so bad that two women had gotten together and said, we'll boil my baby tonight and eat it, and we'll boil your baby tomorrow night and eat it. And they'd gotten in an argument because the second lady had backed out. But I'm not here to talk about the city of Samaria and the famine. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about four lepers who were encamped outside of the gates of Samaria. Leprosy was a horrible thing. I don't have to go into a long thing to tell you that. You already know it. But their bodies rotted away. Their fingers rotted off. Their toes rotted off. Uh, their body literally decayed until it stank. Everywhere they went, they had to put a cloth on the front of their face that people couldn't see their face or, their, or, or get their breath on them. They had to cry out everywhere they went, unclean, unclean. It was not only the, the physical part of it. Can you imagine the physical pain and suffering of having leprosy? But the fact that they were totally cut off from people. Uh, they couldn't be with their spouse. They couldn't be with their children or their grandchildren or society. They were totally alienated. And, and I'm a people person. That would just be horrible for me to say you're totally cut off from being with people. And now the church, the religious group, by the law of Moses, had cast them out of the city. So they're really in a famine. It's bad to be a leper, but it's even worse to be a leper in the time of famine. It's bad to be a leper in the time of famine, but it's worse to be a leper in the time of famine that's in the middle of a war. It's bad to be a leper in the time of famine in the middle of the war, but it's even worse to be a leper in a famine in the middle of the war when you're on the losing side. And so you've got four lepers with no hope. They don't have any resource for food. Death is just a little ways away from them. Everything in front of them was dark. I feel God's presence. Anybody feel God's presence? Everything was dark. There was no future. There was no hope. And there's four different things they could have done, and thank God they did the fourth one. The first thing they could have done, and I want to just back up here for a moment and tell you that no one in this building is a leper, and you're not going to go through what these men went through. But here's my point, and I don't want you to miss this. I, uh, when Billy contacted me here a while back, and uh, Billy said, I want you to come on Friday night and, and do the thing for the seniors, and I want it to be a family thing. I want Leah to sing and Mark and Joel. And Joel was here Friday night because everybody knows Joel. He's first class nut, if you know Joel. And, uh, and, and I was excited about it. And I had barely got through talking to Billy and dealing with Billy till the Holy Spirit, and I'm not trying to be super spiritual, the Holy Spirit just in my, in my, in my heart just said, this is what you're to say. And I thought, okay. 
And then Chris contacted me later and the Lord said, you thought it was for Friday night, but I've given you a rhema word for Sunday morning. I don't have a sermon for you today, but I'll say unapologetically because you don't have to jump tally, God has given me a rhema word for some people in this building today. Come on, somebody. I'm not up here as a talking head. I'm not up here by chance. I believe it was God-ordered. I believe the Holy Spirit is in this. I believe God has given me a word. And you may not be a leper in struggling like these men, but you're struggling. You've got your own darkness. You've got your own challenge. You've got your own what seems like impossibilities. You've got your own issues where there doesn't seem to be an answer. You've got your own mountains that seem so high you'll never be able to climb over them and rivers so wide you would never be able to cross them. So you may not be a leper, but, but, but you need a word from God today. And the things these guys could have done, you could do. And maybe some of you are. The first thing you could do is blame God. And you can say, God, why me? I mean, I've not been a bad person. I've not done anything to deserve this. Why me? Why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to face this darkness? Why do I have to be cast out and not even be with the people I love and be outside of the city and know that, that I'm going to die and die soon. Why, God? I remember I went in the ministry, left home when I was 16 years old with my Gibson guitar and my Samsonite luggage. I got on a bus in Columbus, Georgia, and went to Gainesville, and they picked me up, and for two weeks I stayed in Helen, Georgia. All there was was a congregational holiness church, a barber shop, and a, and a station. That was all. That was all in Helen. And we'd drive across the mountain to Hawassi and preach at North Mount Zion and 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 in Mount Pleasant, and uh, I went out as a teen evangelist, and I was preaching a revival somewhere in North Carolina. I don't remember when. I remember the pastor's name, and his wife had died with cancer, a long struggle with cancer. They had prayed, but God did not heal her, and he married again, and he had I don't remember if it was four, or five children at home. And revivals back then went two weeks, no matter what. If, if you had a great revival, it'd go four or five weeks. But I remember one of the boys, one of his boys, teenager, he had not attended one service. And I went to him one day and I said, son, uh, why haven't you been to church? And he looked at me with anger on his face. And he said, I love my mother dearly. He said, this church prayed for months. He said, people prayed for her everywhere. And God did not heal my mother. He said, I never intend the rest of my life to ever walk in another church service. I never intend to ever call on God the rest of my life. I don't know what happened to that young man. I have no way of knowing if somehow he changed. But you know what? People can be angry with God and not even know they're angry with God. Somehow down in there, God, why? Why did I have to lose that loved one? Why did, did I lose that child? Children shouldn't die before their parents. Why have I had to go through this? Why, God? And, and I've met them through the years. I've dealt with them as a pastor. They didn't even realize how angry 
with God they are. They can't come in and praise God because of their anger toward God. The second thing that could have done that you'd never want to do is they could have compared themselves to other people and thought, why, why are they doing well and I'm doing this? I mean, why? I think one of the hardest times, I remember when we were going through a time financially and I was pastoring a strong church and God was blessing us and we were breaking tithe records and money was coming in and, and I was struggling wondering where the car payment was coming from. And I'm thinking, God, I, I love you and I'm praising you and why aren't you giving me some of these blessings? Have you ever been there? Or maybe you're going through emotional problems or marital problems and everybody else is filtering it out and making it look like their world is great and your world is not. And if you ever start comparing yourself to other people, you're going to be in trouble. You are who you are. And you're special. My goodness, I feel this in my spirit. You are special in the sight of God in your own way. Never be anybody but who you are. God loves you for who you are. And never size you up and put you. There was one thing. I made a lot of mistakes in my 66 years of ministry, a lot of mistakes. But I want to tell you one thing, one mistake I never made, and I thank God. I never tried to be anybody else. I remember when young preachers tried to be T.L. Lowry or they tried to be Ray Hughes or they tried to be somebody they wasn't. I was always just Jim Talley. You had to take it or leave it, baby. If you didn't like it, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to be me. Just me and God. We're going to do this thing. And I learned to fly solo because, friend, if you hook up with the crowd, the crowd's going to start telling you what you ought to be. But when you're flying solo and you and it's you and God, you're listening to one person. Come on, somebody. You aren't comparing yourself to everybody else. And the third thing you can do, and this is a horrible thing, they could have self-destructed. It breaks my heart, and I almost decided not to even say this, but I'm going to. I keep up with what's going on in the world, in the church world, and I've got an iPad and an iPhone, so... You know, I'm not in a nursing home yet. But in the last two or three years, I know of three, at least three or more, young pastors of mega churches into the thousands who had everything to live for. Pastors who committed suicide. One pastor, the top chef program of his church was to reach people that were suicidal. Two hours after preaching the funeral of someone in his church that committed suicide, he committed suicide. You know, these four lepers could have said, might as well just die. Let's just get it over with. Don't, don't drag it out. Just, let's just get it over with right now. But there's a second side to this, and I want you to get it because this is, somebody needs to hear this. There's a lot of ways to self-destruct. You know, Elvis Presley died in 77. He wasn't taking illegal drugs. He was taking prescription drugs. But he self-destructed with them. Alcohol. I want them to put the photo, if they've got it ready for me, up here of Russ Taft. 
Some of the older ones know him. Your young people are going to say, who in the world is that rough-looking guy? Russ Taff is 69 years old, gospel singer. He started out years ago with the Gaither Group. But what a lot of people, a lot of you know this, some of you don't, but Russ Taft was born in California. And again, I'm embarrassed to say this, but his dad was a Pentecostal preacher. But his dad was also an alcoholic. His dad would pastor a while, minister to people, love on them, preach the gospel, and then he would fall into alcoholism. And Russ Taft growing up, his dad, when he would be the alcoholic man, he would beat him mercilessly. Beat him mercilessly. And he would say to him over and over again, you're nothing. You're a nobody. You'll never be anything. You are nothing. You're just a pitiful excuse for a son. And that's what he heard. And let me share it with you quickly because so on Friday night, I don't need any violins. God's been good to me. I was raised with an alcoholic father. And he had good worth ethics, but on Friday when he'd come in, my mother would say, Jim, follow him around to the juke joints and the places and see if you can humor him and get enough money out of him. Maybe we can pay the rent this week. Maybe we can buy food. Maybe I won't have to go to the Salvation Army and get a money order to feed you and your three brothers. Just follow him around and see and when my daddy'd get to drinking, he'd look at me and he'd say, I hate you. You're just like your mama and I hate you. I never one time in my life ever heard my dad say, I love you. So I can relate to what this man went through to a degree. Because I never knew what it felt to have a dad put his arm around me ever and say, I love you. And we didn't know where he was part of the time. But I don't need any violins. Because when I was 15 years old, I walked in a little church where Mama took me and my three brothers and a group of young people were singing, Glory and honor be to the King. Shout hallelujah, make praises ring. Look to that future home in the sky. That's the reason Jesus passed by. And I went to that altar and He birthed me and adopted me into the family of God. Come on, somebody. And I've had a heavenly Father who is always... Come on, somebody give God praise in this place. But Russ Taff beat the odds. He, was, he made it. I made it. He made it. But he dealt with demons. He dealt with voices. He could still hear what he was dead was saying to him. And one day in a hotel, he'd come in. It was a hot summer day, and he'd come in hot, and he looked in the... And nice hotels have a lot of it. There were three cans of Heineken in there. And he thought, I know people in the gospel music industry, they drink alcohol. I know church people drink alcohol. And he'd always hated it. I, I remember as a kid, I thought, I'd like to go burn every liquor store down. That's what I wanted to do as a kid. But he picked up the can of Heineken and he drank it. And he said, all of a sudden... I couldn't hear those voices as strong anymore. And then he picked up the second can and he said, I can barely hear those voices now. And he drank the third can and he couldn't hear those voices anymore. And he said, 
this was, must be what it's like to be normal. This, I've never felt normal. Maybe this is what it feels like to be normal. And to make a long story short, he went downhill. You saw him. I used to watch him. I didn't know he was dealing with alcohol. And I told Rachel, I said, he's an alcoholic. I know. I could see it. I could see it on him. And I won't go the whole thing. And thank God he failed many, many, many times, but hopefully he's got it together. You know, there may be somebody in this building listening to me right now. There's something going on in your life that you could self-destruct. You think you got it together, but you don't. And down inside, you know you don't have it together. Don't do it. But there's a fourth thing, and this is what I want to shout about today. You can choose life. These four lepers said, why sit we here till we die? They said, we're going to die one day. I know I'm going to die one day. We're going to die one day, but not today. Because the Bible said at dusk, not at dawn, at dusk, in the beginning of the darkness, they said, we're going to go toward the Syrian camp and turn ourselves into the hands of the Syrians. And if they kill us, we're going to die anyway, but we're going to try to live another day. And when they marked into the darkness, what they didn't know, and I feel like doing a little shouting right here, what they didn't know was the day before, Elisha, the prophet of God, had stood at the gate of the city. Oh my goodness, I feel his anointing. And saying, if this time tomorrow, if this time tomorrow, eight gallons of fine flour will be sold for a shekel, and 16 gallons of barley will be sold for a shekel, because God is going to do a miracle in this place. Somebody say praise God in this place. They didn't know that. They didn't know what the prophet had said. But they, until they acted, they didn't know that God was already acting on their behalf. But they acted. They moved. And as they moved, all of a sudden in the darkness of the night, God made those four leprous men sound like an army of the Hittites and the Egyptians. And the Syrians said, The Israelites have hired the Egyptians and Hittites and they're coming on us. And listen, they didn't pick up a thing. They didn't pick up anything. Zero. Nothing. They got out of Dodge as quick as they could because of God's supernatural power that made four leprous men sound like a mighty army. You see, what are you trying to say to me, Jim Talley? I'm going to tell you what I'm trying to say to you. God's saying that it's time for you to, to get movement. There are people in this building I, and people listening online or whatever. It's time for you to move out. People sit around and say, well, you know, I can't do anything about it. And if God gets ready, God's going to touch me and God's going to help me. People like that make me nervous. I'm an A-type personality on steroids. Don't come to me with that passivity. No, no, you got to move, baby. Come on. Come on, I'm talking to somebody here today. Come on, you got to move. You got to say, I ain't living like this. You got to say, I'm not putting up with this. You got to say, I'm not dying today. You got to say, I'm not giving up. My goodness, I'm good. 
I may be 82, but I'm feeling it right now. Amen? You got to say, something, something is going to give with me today. And as they marched out, God gave them an awesome miracle. I want them to put a picture up here today of Shane Bailey. If y'all got it ready back there. This is Shane Bailey. I want you to meet Shane. Shane, pastor's in Chatsworth, Georgia, 20 miles east of Dalton area where I live. He's been there over 13 years. Shane's 49 years old. Two years ago, on July the 30th in 2020, Shane and his daughter Bella were in the kitchen opening up chemicals to put in their above-the-ground swimming pool, and it exploded in his face. They took Bella to the hospital, stayed two hours, came back. She was fine, but not Shane. Shane, I want you to put the next picture up. This is Shane. Shane, they put him in the ambulance. They rushed him to Northwest Hospital, to Wellstar Hospital. And for 40 days, he was incubated. For 40 days, he didn't know he was in this world. It was during COVID. They wouldn't allow any family member to go near him. 40 days alone, incubated, and the doctors said he'll die. They said he'll probably be blind, but he'll probably, he's most likely going to die. On the 30th day, they brought in his wife, Roxanne. I pastored Roxanne's mother and grandmother at the Dalton Church back in the early 80s. Pastored some of Shane's family. They brought in Roxanne and they said, it's COVID and we don't let family members come in, but we want you to come in and look at your husband because it may be the last time you see him breathing. He's going to die. We, we've seen it all, but he's going to die. Now, there's probably some healthcare workers here in the building today, and I don't want to say anything bad about healthcare workers. But the healthcare workers in that hospital neglected him. He lay there for 40 days, and they let his right leg hang off that bed for three weeks. So the things he is suffering today, and he suffered had nothing to do with explosion. It had to do with the neglect of healthcare givers. His leg hanging off, they left the tube in his throat twice as long as they were supposed to. So they lost his vocal cords. And when he came to, he couldn't speak above a whisper. His leg had been hanging, he couldn't, couldn't walk. And as he lay there, and he, he tried to communicate, and nobody could hear him. And he said, I talked to him yesterday. He said, Brother Tally, one day the nurse kind of got close to my bed and he said, I literally grabbed her and pulled her over on me. And he said, in the slightest whisper I could, I said, give me a pen and a pad. And he wrote down and he said, how long have I been here? Is this medicine you're going to give me going to not? And he began to write and said, and he's not the only one I've heard say this. He said, spirits, I could feel spirits fighting over me. And spirits were coming to me and said, you're going to die. You're going to die. And he said, even some of the healthcare workers said, it's good your family can't come in and see you like this. They wouldn't like you like this. And to go through this battle, but he said in that moment, and I want to make a statement that if you haven't heard anything I've said, I want you to hear this. Desperation is the one thing, desperation and determination, 
that will lead you to gain the promises of God. You've got to have, Shane told me yesterday, he said, Brother Tally, you've got to have more than desperation. You've got to have determination. He said, I was desperate, but I was determined. And he said, I determined I was not going to die. I am not going to die. No matter what they say, I'm not going to die. And he said later, the doctor at Emory University said, you will never, ever be able to speak above a whisper. And he said, doctor, you're wrong. He said, no, I'm not wrong. He said, I've been in this business 30 years. He said, then you don't know the God that I know. And when I start speaking, I'm going to send you a video of me speaking. Another doctor said, you will never walk again. He said, I will walk again. He said, no, I can tell you what's wrong in your leg. You will never. He said, I've been doing this these years. Never one time has anybody walked again like you. He said, Brother Telly, I sent him a video when I walked from the bedroom to the living room without a cane. I walked. And the doctor said we were wrong. Come on, somebody. But he said, I was determined that I was going to live. And the state overseer, Tom Madden, from right here in South Carolina, I did interim pastors for him. And he said, I want you to take that church and take care of it while Shane gets better. And I thought, I'm going to be here a while. It was during COVID. And my family was worried about it. And they said, Dad, don't do this. We don't. And I said, no, I got to do this. I didn't even know the people because they all had masks on. I wouldn't know them today if I saw them. Everybody wore masks. But I went in there and I thought I'll be here a while. But Shane called me and the overseer at the end of November. And he said on December the 14th, 2020, he said, I'm coming back in that church and I'm going to preach. And I was there that morning when they rolled him in in a wheelchair, set him in front of a table with a can of Sprite beside him. And he preached that morning and he's preaching every Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night is God a miracle working God or what somebody God is a miracle working God and there are people in this building right now you need a miracle you're not Shane Bailey you're you and every, all the dressing outside looks great. You look like you got it all together, but you know you don't. You've got your own darkness. You're like those, yeah, play softly, Billy. You, you're, you, you've got your own darkness you're trying to walk into. And let me tell you, and God sent me to tell you this, you can't do it by yourself. But I know a God, and He's here right now, the power of the Holy Spirit. If I've ever felt Him, I feel Him now. No matter how bad your situation, how deep your darkness, God's here this morning, the Holy Spirit, to make a difference in your life. And I'm going to tell you something, if, and again, if you forget it, most of what I've said, don't ever forget this. God never does a miracle just for you. Not ever. These four leprous men in the night got greedy and they're eating everything they can get their hands on they're getting gold and silver and hiding it and they said all of a sudden we're rich we've, we've got this whole thing and finally the four of them started talking to each other and they're saying you know what this is bigger than us 
God must be doing something here. This is bigger than man. This is God. God's, God's doing something here. They said, we do not well. For this is a day of glad tidings and we hold our peace. And they could have been mad, really, with the people in the city. They cast me out. We're going to get them back. We're going to get a revenge the way they treated we're, we're, we're good, But they didn't. They went back to the gatekeeper and said, go wake the king up. It was still at night. And tell him we've had a miracle. He didn't believe it. But he sent somebody and realized it was a miracle. And all of a sudden, oh, i got to get this over somebody today. i got to. All of a sudden, the actions of four leprous men created a miracle for thousands in a city. You hear what I'm saying? Listen to me. And I feel like there's some men, men that need to hear what I'm saying. You choose life, you don't just choose it for you. You choose it for your spouse. You choose it for your children. You choose it for your grandchildren. And beyond that, God help me say this right, you choose it for everybody you're around. When you've got life, you spread it. This is an ugly, mean world. I want to tell you, I've got time. I want you, but I, I got to tell you this. We're living in a bad world, but let me tell you something. We want to think this is the worst world it's ever been. The world's always been bad. Politics has always been bad. It didn't just stop, start. It's going to get bad. It's going to get worse before the rapture of the church and the coming of Jesus. We're living in a bad, bad world, and the last thing we need are Christian people that get out in society and all they've got to say is some dumb something that full of doubt and disbelief and division and people are getting mad at you now over politics you've known all your life and unfriend you on Facebook. Come on, somebody. God, if every person in this building could choose life and say wherever I go, it don't matter if it's putting gas in. It don't matter if it's a doctor's office. I'm going to have life, baby. Come on, somebody. There's going to be a smile on my face. There's going to be some joy in my soul. Wherever I go, I'm going to spread life. People are going to see life in me. It don't matter about my age. It don't matter what. I'm going to have life. I'm going to spread it wherever I go. Would you stand with me, please? Father, I feel your presence. It's decision time, Lord. It's decision time. Lord, I, I know who I lean on. I know you're the one. But there's some folks in this building, you sent me here today. I tell them it's time to make a choice. It's time to quit blaming God. Time to quit comparing themselves to people. It's time to quit self-destructing. It's time to choose life. And I'm asking you, Holy Spirit of the living God, to go where I can't go. To go places I can't reach. That you can do by your Spirit right now. In Jesus' name.
in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You know, I prayed about the end of the service and the altar service. And I said, Lord, just really, how do you want me to end this? And I want to make this quote again. Only the dead stay still. Life is movement. It's time to move. I thought, do I just call people out or is there room? But I'll tell you what I really feel led to do. And I've really prayed about it. Some of you, but your body won't let you. I, I told them today, I said, I have stamina and strength, but my muscles are weak. I have serious back problems that they can't operate on. And I stagger a little bit and it embarrasses me. I look like somebody has been drinking and I'm not. And maybe your body won't let you. But I wonder if you've got time, your body will let you. Everybody, not just somebody, that can slip out of the chair where you are and as tight as we can. And just come down and just stand right here in front of you. I'm not going to hold you a long time and preach another sermon. But all over this building, will you just get out if your body lets you out of your chair and you got time? You know, we don't have to beat the Baptist to the rest for today. Come on, come prayerfully, come prayerfully, come prayerfully. Pray with me, saints, pray. I've had intercessors praying for this service. My wife is an intercessor. She has a band of intercessors. There are people all over the United States interceding for this service right now. I've called them. I've kind of, I said, I want you to intercede because I need God's help. Now look at me for just a minute. I'm not going to preach again, talk again. Listen, listen to me. I've done this before. I want you to do this with me this morning. I want you to pray for you. Your, your husband may be worse than in Christ or your wife act like a witch and your kids are brats and your employees mean, but that ain't got nothing to do with them. It's got to do with you. There comes a time when you lay your hands on you and you say, God, look into my heart. Touch me. And I want you this morning in praying with me. I can't make you pray. I can't create anything in you. Only you can do that with the Lord. But it's about movement. I, I prayed for people in prayer lines. I had prayer lines everywhere I'd go. And I'd, I'd pray for them and I couldn't get them to pray. And I said, honey, you got to pray. I can't do your praying for you. I can't do this. You've got to use your lips. Don't, don't just stand there. You've got to use your lips. If, if you really be honest, and God's in what I'm saying, there's some good, precious people standing right in front of me. You love God and you love others, but you're not enjoying life like you're supposed to. You're not. You've allowed the cares of life. You've allowed the challenges to pull you down. You're battling depression and oppression and all kind of stuff that's coming against you. You're not living in the joy God wants you to live in. But you can. I don't remember a day when my body hasn't been in pain. If I'd have done what pain management wanted me to do eight years ago, I'd be so drugged up, I wouldn't even be able to be here today. And before I die, I may have to take, I don't know what I may have to do. I'm not judging anybody. I'm telling you this. I'm going to try till my last day to choose life 
God wants to give you life. You say, but Jim, you just don't know. No, but I know God. I'm like Shane Bailey. I know my God. Come on, somebody. Would you right now join me? Please join me right now. Come on. Put your hand on yourself. Pray for you right now. Come on, join me. Father, come on, church. Join me in prayer. Let me hear you pray. Lord Jesus, as we put our hands on ourselves right now, Lord, give us life. Lord, there's people standing in front of me. They're good people. They love you and they love others. But Lord, they're not enjoying life like you want them to enjoy it. Touch them right now. Help them to walk boldly into that darkness, into that enemy's camp and say, I'm serving a big God and I'm not going to live life like I'm living it now. I'm going to live life with joy and peace and power and praise and a testimony I'm going to live my life. Would you pray at church? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, praise be in the name of God. Praise be unto the name of God. Praise be unto the name of God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Touch the people, Lord. Touch the people, Lord. Touch the people, Lord. Give revival, Lord, like we haven't seen in a long time. Give life like we haven't experienced in a long time. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, by your spirit, by your power, by your word, by your strength, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. 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 I bless your name, Lord. I bless your name, Lord. I bless your name, Lord. I bless your name. Hallelujah. 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 Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.